Planet Faz podcast episode 10. We hit double digits. You've done 10 of these? 10 of these with this one. It'll be 10. It's technically 11 because I was here before. Is it? <laughs> that didn't happen. Can I, can I tell him? <laughs> Go brought, on, tell him. He brought out some crusty, crusty chicken wings, asked me for my opinion, so he deleted the whole episode. Facts, yeah? Because you're a chef, <laughs> I'll respect your verdict. I'll respect it. Um, how are you? I'm good, man. Good to see you again, man. So, tell my viewers, tell Planet Faz, everybody who watches Planet Faz, who are you? So, um, you lot would have found out a couple of weeks ago. If it, if it, if it didn't get deleted. I'm like, <laughs> oh Yo, you know God. we're going to be sending me shots. <laughs> oh my God. So today we, we have some technical support, so hopefully this is the <laughs> technical support. <laughs> nah, I'm, uh, my name is Chef Aaron Lee and I'm the founder of South Money Flavors. And uh, I started the business in my back garden around, well, we're in our fourth year now, so three years ago. I say three years, it's three years, four years, it's all a blur, it's all the same. But I started in my back garden and I was selling chicken and waffles on Snapchat and then we've kind of elevated from there and gone to contract catering, street food, takeaways, anything to do with food we're involved. Started from the backyard. Yeah. The infamous backyard. Yeah. Um, your auntie's house. Auntie's house, Aunt Rose. Aunt Rose is a legend, hold tight Aunt Rose. Big up. Um, and you started making chicken and waffles. Chicken and waffles, selling it for a fiver. I had a pot of oil. And I went to the Halal Butchers up the road on Stockport Road and I would walk back with a 30 pound bag of chicken thigh and I would go back, make the flour mix, fry all the chicken in the pan and had this 20 pounds uh, waffle iron from, from Asda. It's all I could afford at the time. But we was doing bits, we was doing like 200 pounds every Sunday. How long ago was this? How many years? Two, uh, I say two. Feels like yesterday to me, innit? So yeah. it was like three, four years ago. We're, we, we just entered our fourth year as a business, as a registered business. Let's iron out first, how old are you? 25 now, I turned 25 last month. Why food? Explain to us, um, me, the world. Food, food? Food, food's the key to everybody's heart, man. Like even you cook at home and you love it and, and like it's the key to everyone's heart. You speak True. through food. You, 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 can, you can have really shit food at a table, but you'll always appreciate the people that you was around the table with. That's, that's food. That's, I don't know. It's, I have several reasons for choosing food. Now tell me a bit about your uh, family background. Um, was your family into food? Yeah, heavily, massively. My family's, my family's half Vietnamese. Half okay. Vietnamese. Well, actually, I'm half Vietnamese. My family's Vietnamese, yeah, sorry. Right, 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 okay. I'm Vietnamese. I'm, I'm half Vietnamese. My family came from Vietnam. They came after the war. They came on the boat, stopped in China, and they came from China to the UK. Wow. Um, yeah, moved to Buxton, and that was the first place they kind of resided in, in the UK. Wow. It's quite interesting, yeah, so... My grandma, absolute legend. Yeah. Um, my auntie. Big on, big on food. Yeah, she, big she, on yeah. So I've not seen her in so long because of COVID. We're all kind of keeping our distance from her just because of COVID and stuff. So we can't wait. Hopefully this, this year, Christmas is the one where we can all go back and have a big meal. She's and, in Vietnam. No, she's here. She's oh, here. She? Yeah, she's here. Um, it's, just, it's just crazy the journey that she took. I, I, I don't know as much as they do, but... Mm. Just coming from a war-torn country, getting your house repossessed, your land repossessed, your businesses repossessed, and then being forced out of the country to find a better life. And it makes me work harder because, you know, they did all of that, not for you me. You were born here? I was born here, but, yeah, but I, I appreciate... Like you still have, yeah, this appreciation about uh, of where your family came from. First, first generation born here, myself, my cousins, my siblings, were the first generation to be blessed with all these opportunities yeah. before this you know, we would have been born in Vietnam and we wouldn't have had 
the opportunities that we've got in, in the UK. So, um, yeah, and it's something that my parents and, and my auntie and the older generation of our family always made us aware of. So, you know, gratitude is a must. That's a, you know, that's not a, like a little thing, you know, like Massive. coming from another country, coming to a foreign country, settling in. 13, I'll show some of the things they faced and went through. It's like 13, 13 and a half thousand miles. And, and it started on a boat. It wasn't no plane ride where it's 12 hours on a plane. No, days wow. and days and days, weeks and weeks of traveling. So they did it proper. They did it proper. And then even on the way there, there was, you know, like I have an auntie that I've never met who was taken at sea. So she was taken and apparently have a cousin in Sweden. So somehow she was, she was taken and then she had a child in Sweden. And the whole journey must have been mad. I don't know the ins and the outs, but. So who's... Um... Whose side is Vietnamese? Is it your father's side? Yeah, Vietnamese? so my, my dad's Vietnamese. Right. Came here and he reverse colonized a white woman. <laughs> <laughs> took oh. their jobs, took their women. Oh my day. <laughs> this is going to go viral, isn't it? <laughs> Vietnamese, Vietnamese man says they got <laughs> reverse colonized one. Uh, he, he came here and you know what? I don't speak to him now because, you know, there's family issues, but. Um, he came here and bless him, he'd he never seen snow, couldn't speak the language. 13 years old, new country, had to settle in. Um, everybody was racist at the time. You know, you're talking 60s, 70s kind of era. So everyone was pretty racist at the time. And he kind of had to find his way. He was fighting a lot. He was very physical. He was a physical man. Um, found his career in, in self-defense lessons and, and um, watching the doors in town. Any of your family members into food? Like, had food yeah, 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 yeah. My auntie. So I started at my auntie's shop packing prawn crackers in her chippy in Oldham. Even though we lived in Longside Ardwick, she, she had a chippy all the way out in Oldham. And this was before she even trained up to be a nail, te nail technician. You're talking over a decade ago. So it's a long time ago. And um, I remember being there while she was training up to be a nail tech. And now she's got two nail salons and she's very entrepreneurial. So she's a massive inspiration. Um, alongside, you know, my grandma's abilities to cook great food. My uncle has a restaurant. He loves food. And our family group chat goes off. All he ever does is post food and makes you hungry, man. Like when you see big bowls of noodles and roast pork and pulled beef and oh, it's, it's next level, man. It's so authentic as well. It's so authentic because they learned, they, my uncle learned from his mom, who's my grandma. So it's, it's so authentic. So authentic. So it's like um, food was one of the most, biggest things in your family because clearly your auntie who you lived with had a food business as well and you grew up in that environment yeah yeah so i so so my auntie raised me i, I moved in i remember spending christmas there and then slept on the sofa with my cousin my cousin was on the other sofa i was on one, one sofa and we was just like vibing one night went past vibing two nights went past vibing three nights went past vibing all of a sudden i lived there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but the, the, it wasn't that simple so I lived there there was things going on in my household and I, it, it, you know 15 years old I didn't want to be in those environments it was pressure I used to have to get up to all sorts of stuff and it was just pressure coming through the end of high school lots of pressure at home um, I wouldn't say it was a wealthy family it's far from it was a broken home raised by a single dad so but your auntie mainly raised you didn't she my auntie taught me my auntie made me go from a boy to a man um, being old enough to understand business and hard work and what a career is compared to what a job is, that came from her. Whereas my dad, by the time I was that age, he couldn't hold down a job. He was claiming benefits, this, that, the other. What about your mother? Never been around. Never been around. So she, she obviously gave birth to me. And then by the time I was one, 
or one and a half or two, um, myself and my sister, who was four years old at the time, older than me, obviously. Um, she just, I don't know. I, 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 I don't even know how to answer the question. She was gone. And so there was no, there was no strong female presence in my life for a lot of my infant years. And then I had, I had a, there was a woman who used to look after us, who my dad was seeing at the time through the junior years of my life. And I actually had a strong attachment to her, but it was, it was nowhere near the educational level and the inspirational level of what my auntie had taught me throughout, even to this day. So, Does, Is your mother aware of you know, your successes in life? Yeah, I know, I know who she is. She knows who I am. Is it tough? It's, it's not as tough as you think, you know. <laughs> it's like saying that guy across the road who you've never met, he knows who you are. He lives across the road from you, but is it tough not knowing him? I, it's, it's, no, you know, it's funny because I have somewhat similar relationship with my parents. Yeah, it's I do. Tough. I it relate is to you tough, a lot. Me and my mother dislike each other, but we love each other. Mm. We know we're there. Mm. What's up here? What's she gonna say when she hears this? I don't like you, mom. <laughs> Honestly, you don't understand. My mom, and, my mom, and my relationship is so toxic. <laughs> it's just what it is. I can't sugarcoat. Do you it. know what's I weird? I find myself so when I go to like my friend's house. Mm. And I see their mum cooking for them, cleaning for them, looking after oh. them. I find myself kind of, you know, showing ultra respect, going out of my way to show the extra respect. Just because, bro. That is facts, so facts, true. Facts, it's facts because, so true. because I didn't have this. And, and I'm looking at my boy sometimes like, how, how are you so relaxed when you've got someone who's literally hand and foot looking after you? Like, whereas me, I'm out there. I've been homeless two times. I went homeless 15 years old. And then I went after that, I, so I actually got, I, when, I, when I moved into my aunties, I actually moved back to my dad's at one point. That didn't last long. That didn't last long. I remember his words, oh, you think you're a 30-year-old man? Get out and then. I can't remember what it was even over. Ended up going to live with a friend. Live with a friend for two years, a year and a half, something like that. Then went to go back to my aunties. And then, you know, my auntie was facing hardship at the time. I had to move out again. Instead of moving out in Manchester, I moved out and went abroad. And this is when I started, you know, exploring my options as a chef. So then I started going to France. I worked in France for a few months, went to Italy, worked there. I was working in hotels. I was working in ski. Uh, before all of that. Before, before, all, of that. before all of that. At what point, like from high school to college and all of that, when did you decide? Did you go to culinary school? Yeah, I went to college. And um, so first I went to two different colleges. First time I went to college, I was doing some joke shit. I was doing performing arts. I didn't really care about the cause, paid no attention. And it was a tough time at home. I remember, I don't mind speaking about this because it's pretty deep. So explicit content coming. My dad actually tried to hang himself um, whilst I was in college. That sent my head west. I was already not focused anyways about this course. So that just derailed me completely. Um, And I remember I still had the, the, so my coat was on the banister. And I still have the coat with the rope burn around it to this day. And the reason I hold on to it is not to, not, I don't know the reason I hold on to it deep down, but I think it's because that represents a moment in time for me. Like of something that I could have lost, someone mm. that I could have lost. No matter what happened between myself and my dad, there's, there was potential of losing it. Mm. And you don't want to lose things. In life, you want to gain, you don't want to lose. Back, back to where I was before. I went, to, I went to performing arts, dropped out, didn't complete the course. Then I went to Manchester College Openshaw. That college was as, as hood as it can get. 
as hood as it can get. So to stay focused in that environment, hats off to anybody who comes out of that college with a qualification. But it started earlier than that because I was in high school and I was doing um, food tech and everyone just takes the piss. Everyone just goes to food tech just to have free food and never pays the teacher for the, for the everyone just goes in to eat. That's how it started. I was already coming from a, a cultured food background, even as someone who looks fully white. So that was different. And um, then in, in school, I'm paying attention to the food tech class. I remember when I, when I finished school, I actually didn't finish my coursework for that course. And they wouldn't, because I was, I was a bit of a handful in school. They didn't let me come back in to do my catch up. They didn't let me come back in. They didn't want me in the building. Cool. I can go back now. I could probably teach the class. Damn. <laughs> um. Hold tight, Mr. Jackson, Muppet. <laughs> then I went to college, did performing arts, off the rails, blah, blah, blah. Went to Openshaw and I was studying level one, qualified. So I did one year. Then went level to one in- level one in professional cookery and culinary arts. But, but why this? Why food? Out of profession, uh, is it performing arts? Because, to because food, it's like two different things. Because during my time in high school doing food tech, they entered us into like a little junior MasterChef kind of competition thing. Some of my friends who, who would probably watch this podcast would be like, oh, I was there, I remember it, I was there. And one of my friends, one of my close friends, she actually beat me in that competition. And then look who's, la- look who's laughing now, Sham. <laughs> but anyways, so I remember, you know, I, I wasn't in for the menu planning, but we still got through to the next round and this and that. And... We came out, I, we didn't even come in top three, but I just loved it. I loved being in the environment. You loved the competition. I loved it. And then, and then when, when I was doing level one in, in college, I smashed it, aced it. I knew, wow, I'm good at this. That's when I found my first mentor in college. And I've not spoken to him in a long time, but he introduced me to the professional side of the industry, mm. broke it down, um, came to the second year and they entered us into a competition. This is my second time going into a competition. This time, completely different. This was a regional college competition. So loads of different colleges in the region were doing this cook-off. You had to do a three-course menu, six plates of each course. We did a salmon starter. We did a lamb main course. And we did this um, strawberry um, panna cotta dessert. It was amazing. We had an hour and a half to prep and serve. We had a window where we had to get our food out. We was the only team on time. And mind you, the day before the competition, we did, we did a practice run and we absolutely buckled it and failed. So when I, when I got into the, the minibus the next morning, I was thinking, let's go in here to mess about. Mm. And this is where I learned one of my first strong career life lessons is when we came to the competition, prepped and served the, the, the 18 dishes, delivered on time. And the only feedback we got from the judges was the lamb was a little bit overcooked, which is a preference thing. And we came first place, regional. We came, it's, the competition was called Association Culinaire Francais. Manchester came first place a team of three two cooks one one kitchen porter um I was the main chef the two girls that was with me one of them was doing the desserts and Tash bless her she was doing the pots but she was supporting us and she was like the morale booster really we was the only team on time so I remember I remember taking the food to the window and we was we was kind of we had another team putting their food in the window at the same time and I remember moving their plates I didn't give a fuck I moved their plates and the way I seen it was this is our slot it's not my fault you're late safe mm. send it sending it but the lesson that I learned on the bus back, because when you win, that feeling is amazing. Mm. Everyone who works for me can, can, can vouch for that feeling because we have a lot of victories in the brand. But I remember my teacher, he turned around, Lee Woodend, he's called, and he, turned, he told us, you're level one qualified. You was competing with level threes and you won. 
And I was like, why didn't you, why, so why didn't you tell us that before? Why didn't you tell us that before? He goes, because you would, you would have had a different mentality. And I like the underdog approach. Think about it. If you come into a room and say, I can do this and I can fight that guy and I got more money than that person and I get more women than that guy and I've got a better car than him, better motorbike, I can do this, I can do that, I'm an athlete. They're going to expect you to, to live up to what you say. If you come in the room and say, I don't really know what I'm doing <laughs> and, and then you smash it, they're going to be like, wow, you did really good. Then you're going to get the endorphins of being praised. Whereas if, if you say, yeah, I'm really good and you deliver average, right? Like, hmm, it's not what you said he was going to be. It's all right. All right. Whereas if you just like admit that, yo, I'm still a learner in the game. I'm still new to the game. Teach me. And what you'll find as well is when you come into the room and act as if you know the least, that's when the world tells you the most. Because everybody wants to gossip. Everybody wants to let you know that they know something that you don't know. So straight away, they're telling you something that they think you don't know, but you already know. You're just getting all the information out of them. <laughs> you know what happened last week. You know, you know what's coming next week because this guy, he's supposed to keep a secret. Everyone wants to share a secret. <laughs> but you came in the room and you acted like you didn't know. You pretended like you didn't know nothing. You came in the room like you didn't know nothing. Mm. And that, that works. Now, a lot of businesses that I work with, mind me for saying this, but <laughs> if you play the young, dumb entrepreneur card, you get given more. You said that to me before. Exact same sentence you've said it to me before. Now, from college, you've won this competition. You go on to do, you go on to finish your college, right? I didn't finish. I got, I, got, I left. I jibbed out. I got a job and left. I didn't really? finish. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still underqualified for what I do. <laughs> this guy is just full of surprises. Mm. You didn't finish college. Nah, so I'm, I'm, to... I'm still level one qualified only to this day. I'm still level one competing with the level threes this guy. to this day. And I like the underdog approach. Level one qualified. Okay. Level one professional you know cookery. That's In my that case, Okay. If you look at my CV, that's what it says. You, you, you dipped college. Where did you go and work? Oh, so like I said, I went to France, went to Italy. Oh, after that? Um, United, City. And do you know what? I was working at United and City before I went to France and Italy. And what I noticed is when I came back from France and Italy, it was almost as if they'd missed me in their operation. Now, looking back now, I understand that. At the time, I felt like, oh, I must be, I must be really good. Mm -mm. They missed me in the operation because of how hard working I was. And there's a lot of things that they could have passed on to me as the young, dumb chef coming into the, into the ranks. He'll do it. He'll bag up all the curry and vat packet, chill it down. It's an hour and a half job. It's tedious. He'll write all the labels. He'll chop all the onions. He'll do the shit jobs. Yeah, of course I would. I'm happy. I'm in the Etihad Stadium. Fucking hell. Look at where City are now. I was a part of that. So when I came back, I remember I got my first ever promotion. Never had a promotion in my life. I got a promotion. I was like, oh my God. To what? From what? To so what? I went from... So I was working several jobs, but this particular job, I would do three days a week. I went from working as a burger flipper, yeah, to running the whole ground floor street food operation in the Etihad Stadium. And it feels like looking back, it feels like it was overnight. And when I was working at the Etihad Stadium, that's when I met my second mentor, Paul Plumley. He taught me the world of knowledge. Now, as I said, don't forget, I've, by this point, I've got hotel experience, restaurant experience, but I'm here doing street food, flipping burgers. Why? Because I had the right people guiding me, the right people besides me, and I was learning what I wanted to learn. What do you mean by learning? Like, what do you learn from working with another great chef? Mm, it's I mean, not about... It's not, you're not learning whether or not you're going to burn the burger or not. You know what I mean? What yeah, are you exactly. Learning? This, is, this is what a lot of people did not understand when they was doing the same job as me. 
they was doing this hundreds of chefs was working there and they was all doing the same job as me but why why did i get chosen to be a part of the team of four people to run the ground floor club north club south uppers and the external street food catering operation why was i a part of that team why because any little bit of information that i've seen i'm not even sure if the chefs that i was working with knew i was learning hmm so that's how you cost a dish right Hmm. So that's how many chefs you need to make three grand in one venue. Hmm. So this is how you systemize the service when it's busy. Hmm. So that's how this equipment works. A meat slicer. Never use one. Oh, fuck it. Watch what he does. Mm. So you were watching everything, even if it wasn't your business. The best part about it was I had exposure to... So they've got the public catering and the hospitality catering side of the Etihad Stadium. Pre-match, you have, you have three days of preparation before the match day. I had exposure during those three days of being next to the chefs who do the food for the boxes, the chefs who do the food for the restaurants, the chairmans, the Mancunian, the Tunnel Club, which is very famous at the Etihad. And then even at United, I had the same exposure in the prep kitchens. So I'm doing my responsibilities whilst rubbing shoulders with chefs who are more experienced, more developed, and looking after a more intricate menu than I am. I'm watching and learning, watching and learning. Yeah, because street food isn't fine dining though, is it? Oh, it's far from, far from, but it's more wholesome. It's more enjoyable, it's more rewarding. And the chef has the opportunity to see the, the smile on the face of the person they're serving. Because in a restaurant, you serve the food, the waitress takes it out, there you go, there's your food. The waitress deals with the complaints and the positives. The negatives and the positives. Because in street food, you take both. So you know when you've done a good job because the customer's telling you. You know when you've done a bad job because the customer's telling you. Right there, there's no bullshit. Mm. You're experiencing it first, firsthand. It's How amazing. How do you deal with stuff like that as a chef when, like, food coming back, that must feel horrible. It, it depends if it's true or not. So say, say, for example, if a raw chicken wing goes out at one of my restaurants, if it comes back and it's genuinely raw, take it on the chin. Be honest with yourself. You could have cooked it longer. Don't rush. If... You send out a plate of food and it's absolutely spot on and there's explosions in the mouth and it's spot on and it leaves the customer wanting more and wanting to come back. That's the reason a lot of chefs want to come back into the industry because it's, again, it's a release of endorphins. It's, it's a reward. Yeah, but I'm saying it's food coming back. When you cooked it... It hurts. Yeah, it hurts. Especially, it's, do you know what hurts? <laughs> when you make a dish... It's cooked perfectly, it's seasoned right, and it still comes back. It's just a preference thing. So, um, perfect example, sometimes tofu. People don't like tofu. Why the fuck did you order it then? <laughs> but you, you just have to take it on the chin. You just take it on the chin. Next. All right, cool, remake it. Make it right or make it twice. It's a famous kitchen saying, make it right or make it twice. And the same philosophy goes in, in business, in life, in, in ambition, in dreams. And it's like, another one, Mise en place saves your ass. Mise en place is to measure and prepare. It's a French terminology. And I didn't, I didn't know what it meant. I was just learning from all these other chefs that I was in the industry with. And you become like, ah, I'm a chef and I've learned this terminology. And I know what it means. But then when you actually stop, wait, think about it. Mise en place, measure and prepare. Hmm. Does that have to be measuring and preparing my flour and my, and my, my gravy and, and my carrots and getting ready to cook a dish? Or can I take that same concept? and put it into my work life, into my personal life. 
into my financial mm. measure and prepare. You measure and prepare. So you got something, you got a week, you, you got an, uh, an event coming up on the weekend. Okay, I'm going to measure and prepare. People do it every day. I'm going to go buy my clothes. I'm going to borrow £100 off my mum or my dad or whatever. I'm going to make sure I've got money in the bank ready for that night. I'm going to invite all my friends, tell them what time I'm meeting them. That's me's and plus. The simplest things. Measure and prepare. People do it in everyday life. Everyday life. And they don't even realise it. The chef just understands the concept. But then it's the great chefs who utilise the concept in more than just the kitchen. Interesting. So at what point you decided to stop working in these um, places and kind of take your own approach? Because whilst you were working at City and United, you had another job, right? You were working for... So when I was working at City and United, when it was off season, so when the football wasn't on summertime, I would go work at the race courses. So I went to work at Ascot. I was working with a company called Sodexo Prestige. So we'd do like flower shows, the golf. We'd be up and down the country, up and down the country. And this is where I started to really, really, really expand my network in terms of meeting chefs and rubbing shoulders with more and more and more highly skilled chefs. Because when I was doing this, I was working with Sodexo Prestige. I'd be coming from the Etihad or I'd be coming from United. They'd be coming from Everton. They'd be coming from Wolverhampton. They'd be coming from Arsenal or Tottenham because mm. all these chefs were in the same, what they call circuit. Mm. So they were all in the summertime grabbing work, grabbing work, going here, going there. And Ascot was a perfect example. We'd travel down all the northerners from, from you name it, whichever city in north. There'd be chefs from all over the north coming down south, mingling with the southern chefs. I was given, I was given, and the thing is, finding those opportunities on my own was a challenge, but I could have easily spoke to the chef who was working there anyways, who was working at the Etihad with me. Mm. There was people there that were going down. I could have said, oh, can you get me in? But I didn't. And now looking back, it was, it was tough and it seemed like a bad decision at the time. But now looking back, it's like, I'm glad that I didn't ask nobody else to get me in because that's my network. I did that off my own back. Whereas if somebody else got me in, oh, you owe me this, you owe me that. I remember, remember this favour that I did for you. And there's none of that. There's, I always went out and got my own work, did my own thing. And that's one strength. At one point you were working two jobs, like three jobs together, weren't you? Yeah, so, one, so, so you I, it, when, when I'm in Manchester, I was, I was grabbing every, I was a pound hound. I was grabbing every opportunity. But then I wanted to go back into the restaurant game and I wanted to go and learn. And I went to tattoo. So I would, I would work, I would work at, um, say for example, the Etihad again. I would work 7 a.m. in the morning till, I, I would never turn up on time. Never. I just couldn't, I lived five minutes from the stadium and I couldn't wake up on time. But I would never turn up on time. I wake up at seven. I'd get to work seven ish, finish at four, finish at four, and go straight to town five o'clock and work all the way until eleven, half eleven. And that was that was my life. So I was eating, breathing, sleeping, the kitchen life. No matter what, I was rubbing shoulders with different chefs every day. No matter what, no matter what. How long did you do that for? I was a chef for about four, five. Six years, I don't know. From the Etihad alone, I worked at the Etihad alone for about five years. And that's the, the longest job I ever had. So that was, that was throughout this entire period. So easily, minimum five years. So you're 25 now. Yeah. You worked at Etihad five years. Yeah. What, your business has been open for four years. Yeah. So when did you kick this off? When did you say you go, so 
I'm just trying to piece it, piece the puzzle together. So you're working at Etihad and United. Yeah. You're selling waffles from the backyard. <laughs> you're working in tattoo. And then you launch your own catering business as well. So I was, it, 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 it wasn't a catering business then though. Right. So, so when you say you launched your own catering business, you didn't start off. You, you, the foundations were set, yes. But it wasn't a catering business then. Now it's a catering business. Back right. then it was just a, let's do this. Yeah. This is cool. Let's do it. I was so obsessed with feeding people that I wanted to now start feeding my people. In instead of uh, instead of their people, instead people of in not even just high class, instead of feeding some guy I've never met a tattoo who's on a date proposing to his missus, or instead of feeding some bald head city fan who, I, who I've never met. Disrespectfully. Or, yeah, disrespectfully. I'm a United <laughs> fan, hardcore. Oh, yes. <laughs> Come on. That's why the logo's red. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I reached a point where I was so booked up by United, City, Tattoo, Sodexo. I could turn around to one and say, I can't work that day because I'm working at the other place and just take the day off. That's how much freedom I had. I was on zero hour contracts everywhere. I was almost self-employed. You're working at all these places and then you think of doing your own thing as well, feeding your own people. Yeah. What did you do? Did you do like festival stalls? So before I even got to that point, um, I started taking Sundays off. Right, that's it. I don't give a fuck who you are, how long I've worked for you. I'm not doing Sundays. At all. At all. Match days, doesn't matter. I don't give a fuck. But every Sunday, I wake up in the morning, go to the butchers. Yeah. Chicken thighs, flour, mm -hmm. oil. And before you knew it, I'd find myself, instead of going to the butchers, going to the cash and carry and buying more and more and more and more. And then I'd be on Snapchat messaging everybody I know, cooking, let me know if you want some, cooking, let me know if you want some. But what, why? You can make money, good money, working for City and because it wasn't them. mine. It wasn't mine. It wasn't it's a risk, mine. Though. It's a risk. Yeah, but I, it was risk free at the time. I was on good money. I was on good money as a chef. This was just me just having fun at the time. Yeah. Um, but what broke my heart was after a few weeks, people started to try and break into my house, and I remember it was the weekend. In in wait, it, this is the house that you're making the waffle and cheese. Yeah, yeah. So people come into the house. So obviously, it's someone that I know. And I'll never to this day find out who. Can I ask then? They've probably been to my shop for the cheek. <laughs> you um, making waffle and chicken, is it like, was it, was it like you trying to express yourself as a chef and you can't express yourself as City and United and all um, it was more. It was, it was more for the culture. It was more for the culture. Um, chicken and waffles. Is, is oh, were you trying to make some cash? Get us off. It wasn't for the cash. I didn't make, I didn't make profit. Like, you're selling the portion for a fiver. You're not mm. making profit on that. Anyone in food knows. Yes, take, keeping in cons considering the time, effort, mm -hmm. and all yeah, of that yeah. you put in as Think well. Think about it. And, and I remember at the time, like, there'd be weekends where it was dead quiet when we first started. Yeah, sure. And you're standing there thinking, nobody wants to eat my food. Oh, no. So, any, any, so what happens from there? Do you get a call for, like, a yeah. festival or something? So, I think it, 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 uh, before even that, your auntie. Yeah. Was she okay with you selling waffle she and chicken? From the, she loved it. She loved it. If backyard? anything, it did piss her off when people started to break into the house. Ooh. Yeah, I remember it was voting day. We had to vote. Um, it was the vote after Brexit. So we voted the referendum, which I didn't vote, made a mistake. And I remember I said to myself, <laughs> yeah, man. I remember the, um, the vote after that. I said, I have to vote. We, we, we have to learn. You know what I mean? I remember I stole, oh my God, I stole a fridge. From the Etihad, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We all done mad shit. Don't look at this. Yeah, well, yo, man, these man, man these man are gonna be baiting me out, yeah? and you'll see police. Yeah, hold, on, hold on, <laughs> you'll hold see, on, hold on. You see, you'll see them. You know how many man steal how much things? Man stole a fridge for his business. He's, 
It is what it is. We've done a lot more worse they're things in thinking, life. They're probably thinking, how? How? That yeah. bridge is probably in SMF. They, I guarantee, it is nah, it's not, it's not. It's so not. they don't come looking for it. It's not there. It's gone. It was years ago. The fridge is done. The fridge is done <laughs> out here. It's had its use. It's done. A lot of people do a lot of things that are messed up. Yeah? Worse than this. And more than anything, I respect your honesty <laughs> and openness about it. Because we all don't oh, mess up. Do you know why? Because I really don't care. Like, unfortunately for them, I really don't care. The, fridge, I, the fridge helps Sheikh me. Sheikh Mansour must have just. It's all right. It's a fridge. What, some of the things that They I probably didn't done. even know it was gone. <laughs> to this day, until they watch it. They probably still didn't know I, st- I jacked the fridge. <laughs> it's probably at the block that you were standing in. <laughs> but listen, um, I respect your honesty and openness. And if I start saying some of the things that I did, they, they deport ones. me. They deport me. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why I keep saying God save the Queen. Yeah, but, <laughs> but anyway, no, do, you know, do you know what's mad? Do you know what's mad? So I had the fridge in a in a in an Uber. I didn't even I didn't drive. I had the fridge in a taxi and I was unloading the fridge and I, I noticed my alarm's going off and I'm still unloading in your the house? fridge. Yeah, parts outside my house, unloading the fridge. Remember telling Bossman in the taxi, oh boss, I've I've just took this fridge because I'm taking it home to fix it. The right. bossman's helped me lift it in the taxi, right. took it to my house, took it out. And my, my alarm's going off. I took the fridge out, left it in the garden. And the alarm's going off. I've gone into the house, opened the door, and the alarm's hanging off the wall. I'm thinking, huh? Someone's actually... Broad daylight. Yeah, broad daylight. Someone's actually broke into the house. Doors, doors off. The door wasn't off, off, but I opened the door and the, the alarm was hanging off. Right. And then I walked through the room. No, straight away, first thing I did was I ran upstairs and I got my knife rack upstairs, opened the knife, came downstairs, run down with a knife. And I was looking around and I could see footprints. I could see the doors being kicked in at the back. I see the... The windows being um, pried open with a crowbar. It was horrific. It wasn't nice. Um, for my auntie, told her what had happened. So she said, you can't serve food from the house. What no area more. is this? Longside Ardwick. Oh, so boy. she's like, she, yeah, but I grew up there. So it's obviously someone I know. Obviously. I'm not thick. It's obviously someone and I know. You're not new here. You've I'm been not here exactly. years and years. It's mad. Um, so she said, right, you can't serve food from the house no more. Don't want it here no more. All right, cool. I was just doing this for fun anyways. Then that, that week, Solomon from Pi Radio, yeah, he hit me up and he was like, oh, I've got a festival co- coming called B Festival. It's in Stockport. I like what you're doing. He hit me up. So he's the first guy to put me on. Um, he's like, <laughs> it's funny this, because he was like, send me your public liability insurance, picture of your setup, your menu, your um, registered limited company. And I was like, I have none of that. So um, this brings me to mentor number three. Now this mentor taught me the grind. He was sick. I met him when I was working Sodexo Prestige at the golf mm. and doing the events, you know. So I, I remember I did another event. I was still working at this time, don't forget. So I remember I went out, did another event, and I'll, he, he handpicked me to do his team. I think it was Burley Horse Trials or something. And I remember speaking to him. I said, they're asking me for this insurance, this and that. What should I do? He's like, do you know what you do? You get £10 million public liability insurance, £5 million employees liability insurance. I was like, millions? <laughs> Little did I know, that's only your, your, your policy cover. Right. So I was like, why? He goes, because if you're going to start this business and you're going to do it properly, get the best. Because if you're going to go and do events and you want to go as far as, say, Glastonbury, for example, they're not going to take anybody without the best insurance. Of course. And we're talking millions. Makes sense. So he was the guy, Daz Ryder, he's called. He's, he's, he's a boss in street food. That's Ryder, he's called. He, he bosses Liverpool and them kind of sides. And he's, he bosses the race courses and he's got amazing uh, uh, contracts. But he was the guy who was, t- he was teaching me the ins and the outs of business. So 
I'm coming from a student where my teacher was teaching me, you know, the life lesson of the underdog approach. Present less than you know, mm. yeah? And do more than you know. Then I was working with a chef who was teaching me how to execute a large scale street food operation. And we made history there. Like we changed street food in the whole Premier League from what we was doing at the Etihad. Then I was working with a chef who was teaching me the grind and the, the little itty bitty secrets of how to run and build a successful street food brand business and to make it future-proof for the ability to project it and scale it. You can't scale your business if you've got one million pound public liability. No one's going to look at you. You don't think if you kill someone, mate. That's a lot of money though. But, one, but you're, yeah, you're, you're not paying that money though. You, right. pay, you pay a couple hundred a year. It's not that, it's not that deep. Not. Really not that deep. Depending on the risk of your business, yeah. you pay a couple hundred a year. It's just that if I kill someone, they could get up to 10 mil. Depending if it is actually my fault. Mm. Covered. Um, so think about those three teachers to get me this far. So then I go back. Solomon, boom, registered the company. I bought a gazebo, took a picture of it. I wrote a menu. I already know how to order from suppliers. I've learned all this stuff. Got all my stock. Got my insurance. Let's go. Within how many days or how many weeks? Um, within a few weeks. You can ask Solomon. He probably doesn't remember. But within a few weeks, I got back to him. I'm ready. Here you go. This is, this is South Money Flavors. So you didn't actually decline it. You said, right, this is like, took you it looked on. at it like a great opportunity. But you're one man mm. selling waffle and chicken. I had, I had my little cousin and a chef that I was working with helping me on that first event. And we, we sold more LucasAid than we did fried chicken. We sold more bottles of LucasAid than fried chicken. I'm sure I only made like 60 quid that event. But you enjoyed it. That was your first ever proper like booking. It's not about enjoying it. For, for that 60 quid and that massive financial loss, I just laid the foundations to South Money Flavors. How? I registered the company, got the insurance, did my first event. Right. Even though you had a loss? Even though financially it was a loss. It was one of the biggest victories that I would ever make in my life and I didn't even know at the time. Interesting. Because you had the foundation set. Because the foundations so, were set. So what happens from then? What do you do now? So you then what? Loss, looking at so then, so, so then what, happens, what happened from then was I, was, I, I still am very geeky when it comes to food. And, and, I'm, I'm, and when I say food, I don't mean I know everything that's on the plate and how it got there. I mean, I mean, if there's something going on in Manchester, if there's an event, if there's food, if there's a new trader, if there's a new business in food, I've already looked at it. I've already read about it. I've already looked into it or I've gone and tried it out myself. So I would be emailing um, Grub Street, for example, mm, yeah. who Grub Street did major things for the street food scene in Manchester back when they was in Fairfield Depot, Mayfield Depot, whatever it's called. And um, I emailed them, this is who we are, this is what we do. They've never had a chicken and waffle trader. It was a niche in the market. And not only that, we were starting to infuse the waffles with different herbs, infuse the, the syrups with different spices and make it taste different. So we started doing events with them. That put us on a, on a platform. Here's South Money Flavours. Here's the street food world. Hello world. Mm. Through that, we've got more and more and more bookings. We started doing Pear Jam, festivals, this, that, the other, Southport Food and Drink Festival, making loads of losses. Losses every time, literally. I, I don't think I actually turned a profit this entire period, this entire first 
year and a half, two years. Didn't turn a profit. But you, but you were consistent. Kept going. Just whilst doing City and Etihad. Whilst still working because if you're pumping money into a project and you're losing money, you've got to find more money. You've got to, to find more money to keep pumping into it. And it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the money. I was just enjoying having people come on board to do something with me that I enjoyed. So you enjoyed that more than working in City and Etihad. Thousand percent. Yeah, uh, yeah, thousand percent. So, United. so waking up at six a.m., packing the van in the cold, prepping all the chicken in the cold. Going to an event like Halifax did UB40. You're talking hours drives and you get there, you unpack the van, you set the thing up, you're prepping, you're cooking, you're serving, then you unpack it, clean it all down, get it back in the van, drive back. It's 2 a.m. by the time you get back. You've just worked from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. And I still enjoyed it more than working 7 till 4 for the Etihad. Wow. That's a lot of grind, you know. A lot of consistency. And we was doing... Week we in, was, week out. We was doing sometimes three, four, five events a weekend. How? Mobile, just like beats me, honestly. And I didn't, I didn't even, I don't, I still to this day don't have a driving license. So there's no excuse for anybody. No excuse. I got, ba I was banned from driving whilst I was building the business. I had a two and a half year ban. So there's no excuses for anybody. I had no driving license. How did you get the stuff? Hired a van. How'd you hire a van? Search for a van driver. How'd you know he's the right guy? Speak to him. And you had someone driving you around all these places, take yeah. you. My boy Majid to this day. I pay homage to Majid. Majid helped us build a brand that was absolutely, it's absolutely phenomenal. But listen, let's not let this go over anyone's head. Like, this, you were grafting seven, not, eight not, days a week. Not just me. Not just me. And I still was working. And it got to the point where the chefs I was working with were like, okay, can you stop talking about your business now? Right. Hell the fuck no. Hell the fuck no. Why do you think I had to leave that, that toxic environment? Like... But then that's the environment that taught you all these things. Of course it is. But when sometimes you outgrow, like you can't wear the same clothes that you wore when you was eight years old. Sure. Sometimes you outgrow. And I love people that I worked with to bits, but I've outgrown doing that job. I, I want to do a different job now. I want to do, I want to go on a different path now. I want to take myself on a different journey now. I've had a taste of that life. It was for me at the time, but not anymore. So when, I was working with older chefs. What I found was a lot of them take cocaine. A lot of them don't have their missus, their wife, their kids around them. A lot of them are on the road all the time, working big, big weeks. A lot of them are in bad debt. And I was looking at life and thinking, is this really for me? Do I really want to do that? Doesn't I mean- a chef is mad, you know? You're like early morning to late night. Yeah, you got, and, 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 and if, you, if you look at like a plumber, you call a plumber around to your house, say between 150 quid to 200 quid for him to fix your burst pipe under your sink. Mm. And you'll do it in two, three, four hours. You look at a chef, between 10 and 14, 15 pounds an hour, average, and he'll do 12, 14 hours for that day to earn the same wage that the plumber did. True. And he had to go and study just like the plumber did. He had to go and refine his skills just like the plumber did. He had to invest in his equipment, his knives, just like the plumber did. So the industry as a whole, is a stitch up. It's not a good deal. Why do you want to be a chef? Passion for food. It's the only reason us dumbass chefs will go and do it because we love the food that much. If you don't love the food, you're not going to love this game, this industry, because you've got to be pretty stupid to take yeah, that deal. Because you're not actually making that much money considering the time you're putting in. You either love it or you don't. And if you don't, go be a plumber, go be a bricklayer, go do something else. Go work a nine to five. Go and do it. But if you, if you, Come into this industry. And this, this is why, do you know what? This is why we've done so well through COVID because we've hired young chefs. Everyone in my business is pretty young. 
reasonably between from nine, 18, 19 up to 27, 28. I think we might have someone who's a bit older. We've got, we've got someone who we call Auntie. She's amazing. But we're in this industry because we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to do better for our lives. We want to build a future. We want to keep progressing. We want to change the game. That's why we're here. That's why I've employed a lot of lesser experience, underdog, chefs. What's your, like, what's your interview tactic or how do you find these people? Um, usually through references. Someone who's worked with someone and then you bring them in, you see what they're about. Even if they're not the best in terms of ability, if they're trying hard and they're focused and they're, they're professional, it's a very attractive um, trait to have. But how are you some, someone credible to judge someone to be able to say you're a good enough chef when you're 25 years old? It's crazy. Level, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's not about me being the best chef in the world. It's nothing. I'm not, nowhere near. Not about being the best chef in Manchester. Absolutely nowhere near. Uh, it's not about knowing um, the best ingredients, the best dishes, having the most knowledge, learning the entire repertoire. It's, not, it's nowhere near having the best qualifications, it's not that. What it is, is I've got a vision. And once I represent that vision strongly, we've 100% no, we've convicted to it, yeah? And I share that vision with someone like yourself. If they see that the vision works for them and where they want to go in life, regardless of if I'm the best chef or not, or the best candidate as an employer or not, regardless, they will follow suit and they will want to be a part of the journey. I've had chefs leave the, leave the Ivy, leave the stadiums, leave agencies, leave good money jobs to come and work and be a part of this journey because they can see where I'm going. And it's my job to keep innovating and keep creating opportunities for them to progress, keep creating new, new roles and responsibilities for them to step into from the roles that, that they're fulfilling. You can't keep people, no matter how good or bad they are at the job, in one space. You've got to build what I call a house of leaders. At what point did you um, sack off Etihad and uh, United? I never burnt the bridges, so I could always go back. And, uh, the, and Tattoo as well. Actually, I got sacked from Tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> I got sacked from Tattoo. <laughs> um, but I could always go back. I even did a shift there after I got sacked. Because I, I was good at my job. I didn't get sacked on, on skill. I didn't get sacked on lack of uh, work ethic. I got sacked because there was a misunderstanding. There was a music speaker. Someone was playing music off. It was my speaker. Someone else was connected, playing it really loud. The sous chef at the time, he was like, turn that fucking speaker off before I throw it in the fryer. Like, no, you won't. Right. <laughs> yeah. So XYZ, yeah. Came, came to blows with him. And he, I was like, what are you going to do? He's like, I'll sack you. I was like, well, go on then. I was like, fucking hell. Went back to my line, seen all the tickets. Thought, fuck that. Got my knives and got, got off. But fast forward two years later, he came and he, he worked within our brand. Mm, interesting. And interesting. we have a very, very, very good relationship. Very good. We respect each other's abilities, each, each other's knowledge, each other's network, each other's talent. At what point did you say, you know what, this is worth uh, giving it a go? From um, the start, anything. I know, but I, at the start, you were doing City and, and still, United. Still, right? from the start, I knew if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. Every plate of food, every dish, every client, every, every networking opportunity, I'm going to represent it properly. I'm not going to go half-hearted ever. You either do it or you don't. So from the start, that was, that was something instilled as a chef. So even when, even when I was working at other establishments, it was already instilled in my head that I'm going to do this properly. But what, what made you think that, you know, this is worth it? This is, this is worth, like, like, okay, at some point, this business of yours started making enough money for you to sack those other two or three off. Um, it, I didn't sack them off based off the money. I sacked them off based off the time. 
Right. The time that I was spending preparing food for somebody's concert at the Etihad, I could have spent preparing food for a festival that I was doing on Saturday night. There's a risk though. They, they, have, they have hundreds of chefs. Me dropping out, cool. They might have felt it, but they might not. They have hundreds of chefs. However, my business only had me. Which business needed me more? Mine or the well-established multi-billion pounds company? Who could just replace you in a Who heartbeat. did? Who did replace me in a heartbeat? It wasn't anything to them. You have a lot of venues now. <laughs> there's, there's... Seven. Six. Seven. Your, I don't know. Your humility is shocking to me. Because you're just I'm so still, humble. I'm still new to it. That's why. You're just... Do you ever... I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you don't. But do you ever like log into your online banking and think, damn... Could be. Do you know what? It doesn't look as good as you think because you have sev several different businesses have several different bank accounts. So some of them look shit and some of them look great. And, you know, you kind of have to get your calculator out. You know what I mean? But you do, you have a, um, do you have a partner? I've got several partners, actually. No, no, no. So, uh, my bad. Do you have a romantic partner? Oh, nah. Don't have time for it. I mean, I don't do bad, but I just don't think it's right at the moment. Because, at the moment. Yeah, just... So you're 25 year old, young, good looking male, successful male. With nothing to lose. Interesting. With nothing to lose. I'm sure there must be females that approach you and, you know, who um, you might think, what, what's, what's her business with me? Why is she like. Do you know what? Do you know what? I, I, find, I find women like, attractive when they actually have. Just as much hustle as I've got. So when do you, at what point, like, what point does Chef Lee not be busy, that busy to have a, a you know, private um, romantic life? I, do you know what? I actually, I actually had, do you know what? Uh, I actually had a heartbreak um, literally at the start of the business. Within the first year and a half of, of the business, that's when I had my first ever heartbreak. And wow, the, the emotional trauma it caused of losing someone you thought you was going to go the mile with, yeah, go, yeah, the, yeah. go the distance, run the marathon, as they say, and go to the end. Because <clears throat> we spoke about a lot of things, you know what I mean? We had plans, ambitions, but that heartbreak switched my mentality. Don't forget, you, you're talking about someone who's been homeless, been broke, been robbed, been battered, and this, that, the other, coming up in, in, in long sight, whatever. Mm. That still wasn't enough to break me the way this broke me. Yeah. But this broke me and had a clean slate left over, ready for this new businessman, this entrepreneur, this guy who could leave everything else in the past. You know, whatever happened with my family, anything, this was, this was new. This is a new person now. None of that happened. Clean slate, this is a new person. Getting over that trauma was a nice business period because that made me make rash decisions to prove a point to myself. I am great. I am wanted. The world does need me. I um, It sounds mad, isn't it? Yeah. But it's all, it sounds so cliche, but it's all facts. I remember I took, a, I took a, my first ever restaurant and I was in Stretford, South Manchester. And that was um, uh, the Bistro 1116. And the concept behind the restaurant was soul food, soul music. Okay. And it became a nice date spot. It didn't work out in the end financially. I ended up losing, which was at the time, a lot of money. Four and a half grand on my deposit. A lot of money lost throughout the, the operating of the, of the venue. But it shown me how much I actually wanted this. Because I dived into this opportunity and I had nothing to lose. And I made it work. 
and I had live singers every Saturday and this, that, the other. And I could yeah again the foundation and I was I, I, another another foundation, foundation yeah, yeah. And, and I was bringing out my soul my my personality and everything that came with it in this restaurant and I brought it to life with the food with the people with the music with everything it wasn't successful I failed and then off the back of that failure what happened was I got a message from a representative of Tokyo Industries which is one of our partners now we now cater for three Tokyo industry venues. So at this time, I had nothing, just took a loss. I've got all these chefs and I no longer have a restaurant for them to work in. What am I going to do? I'm going to quit. Aunt Rose, I'm going to quit. I said to Aunt Rose, I'm going to quit. This is it. I'm done. Business is done. I tried. I got this far. I'm going back to get a job. She's talking to me about, yeah, go get a job. Stay secure. This, that, the other. Um, I sat in a barber's chair and I'm like, Andy. I don't want to do this no more. I've lost all this. I've done all that. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And now I give up. It's too much. I get a phone call. No, no. I get an Instagram message. Hi, we're looking for someone to do kitchen takeovers, blah, 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 blah. Would you be interested? Mm, sorry, we're not doing pop-ups at the moment. Um, actually, delete, delete, delete. Oh, shit. Hmm. Yeah, no worries. You need to speak to Aaron. I'll message him now and let him know, blah, blah, blah. It's me messaging the woman, telling her that she should message Aaron, making it sound professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And um, then she's like, oh, the venue's called Impossible Peter Street. No idea what that is. <laughs> what? Never heard of it. I'm a young kid. Weren't, weren't really established in the city centre. No idea. Googled it. What? Okay. I'll be there in 15 minutes. This new opportunity just presented itself. Now, let's go back to where I said, yo, young, single, nothing to lose. Mm just lost everything at this point everything all my money all of my my customers my business model has fell apart the girl i loved at the time gone <laughs> amazing time absolutely amazing time honestly no honestly i look back now i think wow i do it all again <laughs> honestly one of the best periods for my business but at the time ever. it felt like you were at the time it was shit you felt like you shit <sighs> but this was probably the best thing that could have ever happened you need sometimes, and I would, be, I would be very inspired and motivated on my mirror in my room. I remember having one of my favorite quotes ever. You cannot be a champion until you have survived a breaking point. And that was my breaking point. I broke. Yep, I broke. And then I went to go to Impossible. And there's a woman there who, who we're very close now. We, do, we, we hit a lot of clients together. We do a lot of business together, a lot of opportunities together, a lot of bespoke menus together. We work together pretty much every single day. She's the business development manager of Tokyo Group. She invites me in. Okay, I've walked into this swanky ass venue. Jeez, what? I had a rip in my jeans. I had a South Money Flavors hoodie on. Just got a haircut. Got still hair fibers on my ear. That's what I looked like. Didn't give a fuck. Walked in this venue, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. What's the worst that can happen when you've already lost everything? You're talking to someone who's, before this, was homeless twice. Emotional trauma, family, abuse, this. What's the worst that can happen now? There's nothing that these people out here in this business world can do to me to, to put me in any worse of a predicament, especially knowing that I've got the ability to go back and work anywhere I want. Mm. I've got nothing to lose. That makes a dangerous, dangerous businessman. Very dangerous. You can't strike a deal with someone like that. So I remember we sat down. This is the kitchen. I walked into the kitchen. Now I walk into the kitchen every day and think, fucking hell, they need to clean this, they need to do this. But I walked into the kitchen first time. And I needed an industry-sized kitchen at the time. 
Walked into the kitchen, I remember looking, I walked straight to the end of the kitchen, seeing the walk-in freezer, walk-in fridge, chemical store, KP pot wash machine, grills, salamanders, rationale oven, pass, hot cupboard, fridges, fridges, fridges. I was like, whoa, I could really do some damage in here. <laughs> yeah. That so was I was playground. Yeah, yeah. This, was, this was like, whoa, right, I need this. I've got a team of chefs who need a venue. They're counting on me. I need this contract. Didn't say it out loud. It was all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 went back upstairs. The owner. This is the first time I met the owner and his operations director turned up. They was just in a meeting with another company, right? Discussing the terms of this contract. They were already a couple months into discussions, so it looks pretty likely that this other company is gonna now take on this venue because they was in discussions for a couple months. Getting close to Christmas time, we've been in discussions with this company. Blah 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 blah. But what can you do? Oh, this is my menu. This is what I do. This is my brand. The business development manager's baking milk because we just had a few conversations. She's like, yep, he can do this. I, I was telling him also, it's almost like a job interview, but this was not a job interview. Yeah, this yeah. was pretty much the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, I remember they said, oh, the rent's going to be this much. And I was like, wait, hold on a minute. This much every week? No, no chance. I can't afford that. Okay, well, what do you suggest? Well, I suggest this much and then I'll do it. And I, I gave them a reasonable price. I didn't, I didn't, undercut them i was very straightforward but the point is i had the balls at the time as a nobody to negotiate with these people who and not just say yeah 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 i'll take yeah, it yeah and i wasn't a yes man i said nah i've got nothing to lose anyways so i don't really but you've got nothing to lose you've lost everything why not just say yes i'll do it yeah, yeah. because it's not gonna work i just made that mistake right i just made that mistake with someone else's venue who's even smaller than that and it was cheaper so there's no way Call it three times the amount of rent per calendar month. Was I, was I, was I, just for the kitchen. Whereas the other venue, I had the bar, the kitchen, the restaurant, the whole thing was mine. Whereas this time, three times the rent, bigger venue. No way, no way. Be just real. Yeah. It's just, you just got to be real. And that's what caught their eye more than anything. All right, cool. When can you start? I can do a cook-off mm, in a few days. Got on the phone to one of my, one of my guys. Yo. I know I said everything's packed in, business is done, but would you just do one last one with me? One last one. <laughs> Yo, if you think it's, he said to me, if you, think it's the, if you think it's the one, I'm down. That's all I needed to hear. Went back to them. Yeah, we'll do a cook-off in two days, three days. Arranged the team, arranged the cook-off, went, broke into my old restaurant because I got the, the key took off me and everything. Broke in. I'd I given up that much, yeah, that I didn't bother taking any stock out. I broke into the restaurant to now take what I left originally. My fryers, my stock, this, that, the other. I broke into the restaurant to steal my own stuff. Yeah. Um, brought it all over to the venue. Set up the cook-off. Did the cook-off. Had, had the kitchen deep clean. Did the cook-off. Smashed it. Presented the food, explained the dishes, explained who we are, where we come from, and what we're going for. Then, um, all right, when can you come in and start? What do you mean? I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm ready. I'm here. Tell me when. You tell me. I'm here. I've got a team of chefs waiting. I've got a team of chefs waiting for an opportunity. They've got nothing to do right now. Started that following week. Started marketing it. Did my first ever fucking food blog thing, whatever. It was mental. The whole thing was mental. Had a videographer, which was paid for by the venue. Was doing all these new things. I was networking. I was meeting all these new people. And there, the new era of SMF began. That deal now led to two more venues on top of that. So I've gone from doing one contract for them to three contracts for them. Within, is... within a three, two and a half year 
gap. And what are the names of So the original one is Impossible, Peter Street. Then we acquired Boulevard, Manchester. And now we've just acquired Gorilla, Whitworth Street. How does your business model work? You, you, you're not in the kitchen anymore. Not, not too much. No, only when it comes to like photo shoots, menu development, dish development, um, ki- kitchen audits. No, because I can just do it anytime. So I think if I didn't have access to do it anytime, like... I, I, I can't soak in that you're 25-year-old running food for three of the like, probably busiest venues in Manchester. On, the most, the, on the most historical streets, streets as well. and what areas. What food are you doing in these places? Gorilla, we paid homage to the old venue and, and the old management and the old menu, sorry. Gorilla, we're doing breakfast, brunch, Sunday roast. Oh, it's immense. I've got a very good head chef in there. Impossible, bottomless brunch, corporate dining. It's a phenomenal venue. It's beautiful. We did, we did clients like Auto Trader, JD, Foot Asylum, Booking.com, McLaren, Bentley, Rolls Royce. All these big end clients have come in to, to have a party or a meeting and they've needed catering. That's impossible. And then Boulevard, it's Pan-Asian cuisine. We do sushi. I do these new Philly cheese dumplings. We're always playing with the menu. The team in there, phenomenal. Once they get set, I honestly believe they can win some awards. They're How really, did you really like get all these people to come and believe in you? Um, again, just be honest and share the vision. At 25 years old, this is like, obviously you're 25 now. This is when you were 22, 23. Yeah, but you've got to remember not everybody has had a breaking point. So when people who haven't had a breaking point come across someone who, have, who has had a breaking point, they sense there's a difference in mentality there and they sense the leadership and they sense that you're going somewhere and you're going there no matter what happens. Look, you're, you're doing well. So what, what else can you be doing? Like, what is this victory? Other than expanding the business, which is natural to every entrepreneur. For example, Deansgate. The team that work at Deansgate, I was so hard on them because I've got a vision and this is how it should look and this is what we should be doing. So we're working towards one goal at the time. Get the level five EHO food hygiene rating. I don't accept level four. No, we're in town, Ron Deansgate. Do you think I'm going to accept level four there? No way. We have the best only. It's the best or you're out. That's it. So I'm ruthless with them. I'm telling them exactly what I'm aiming for. You do this, you fill in my due diligence book like this. You, you store the food like this. You do this like that. And if it's not like that, then you... Now in our first six weeks, in our first six weeks at Deansgate, I sacked about seven, eight, nine chefs. No way. Yes way. They're not doing what I need them to do. Which is? Which is deliver a level five standard hygiene rating or deliver a, a platinum level service or deliver the food how I want it delivered. But it's street food. Doesn't matter. This is how I want it and you do it or you're gone. Now, when you're stern like this, the people who are already following you see, yo, okay, it's either this, the best, or you're, or you're gone. It's like Kobe Bryant said, if you want first place, come with me. If you want second place, go play for another team. They didn't like the way I was. Nobody liked it. It was bare negative vibes, bare bad vibes. And then we got the level five hygiene rating. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone wants to be rewarded. Everyone wants to be a part of it. Everyone wants to soak in this victory. And I'm just looking like, now you know why. And then they was all very grateful with each other and myself with getting there and achieving it. So well, the hygiene rating is done every, every year, isn't it? Every two years, but it's, it, we just opened a new venue, so you need to get the rating. And I wanted, I wanted the best. So it's just an example of one small victory that we've had in it. But the point that they're willing to celebrate the victory, but not willing to put in the graph to get that victory, separates the winners 
from the people who don't know how to win. Interesting. You know what I mean? So mm. when they all look back now, they all understand why I was the way I was and why I want the best. And when they receive the best, they, they, they love it. So now they also want the best in other aspects of the business. Yeah. So when I'm stern on them in other aspects of the business, now they understand what I'm going for. Now they understand why I'm going like this, why I'm acting like this, why I'm saying this. It's because this is where I see us. Mm. This is where you are. This is where I see us. This is where you're. Think about it. So that's how I keep people who are very talented, very gifted, very driven, very ambitious on board because you have to out-ambitious someone. You have to outwork someone. You can't be more ambitious than me. Why? Because I want more than whatever you want. I don't even know what you want, but I want more than it. <laughs> you can't, out, you can't out, out, outwork me. You can't out-ambition me. You can't out-vision me. You can't. As long as you've got this and you're always two weeks, three weeks ahead of your team and making sure that they're operating what they need to operate and you keep feeding them the work. They'll always, if you, I don't know, I can't say it in a big-headed way, but I do think I learned a lot of management skills from the Etihad when I was, when I was a leader there as a young 18-year-old running the ground floor, three chefs in each kiosk, there's six kitchens, four hot dog stands. That's a big team at 18 to be running. Sure. Different age groups. Um, but during that period where I was sacking a lot of chefs, I had a lot of chefs quit as well, where... So alongside sacking a load of them, a lot of them quit because they couldn't take the mental pressure that I was putting and applying. I'm not going to lie. I probably couldn't. If someone's, if someone's paying me a certain wage and they're talking to me like that or they want this and it's unrealistic, fuck that shit. Do yourself, mate. So do you pay your chefs? They, 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 they get paid well. They, don't, they do get paid like well. like we were just saying that chefs don't get, you know, nearly as much as what a plumber would I pay them exactly what I can afford and I, and I pay them exactly what they earn. I don't underpay anybody. Everyone's paid fairly. And even within my brand, there's a lot of female leaders. There's none of this inequality of pay. There's a lot of female leaders in the brand who get paid more than the men. So the chefs get paid nice. The managers get paid nice. They, they, get, they get looked after. What about the staff, the waiters? The, the staff get paid above minimum wage. So if you're 18 coming into my brand, you get a minimum wage of a 21-year-old. We pay them two, three pounds more. Mm. Just because. Just, just because why the fuck not? Look after them. So we're, we're currently opening a new venue as well. I've actually got one day to open it now. I've got, I've got a new venue in, in uh, Trafford. It's called Bowlers Exhibition Centre. It's a massive 6,500 capacity venue. Before that, hold on. Before I stop this thing, because you're doing, you're doing so many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many things. Yeah, I wanted to touch on something, because we'll touch on all these new ventures that you're doing, which I observe very closely on your Instagram stories. <laughs> Bro, that's creepy. <laughs> Is, is what I have to do to make sure the show is sick, you know, so, so I can ask the good questions. During COVID, obviously all these venues are closed and majority of your venues are people coming in and enjoying food and whatever. How did you as a business survive uh, that period? And it's a long period as well. Um, I did some restructuring on how the business actually operated. Um, so we couldn't trade at Boulevard and Impossible and whatnot. Um... We acquired a lot of businesses as well through COVID. We acquired a lot of businesses because businesses close in the hundreds. People can acquire those businesses in the hundreds. It's a land of opportunity. But how did you like manage to pay all these staff members? Before COVID, all of my staff were on invoice. That means they didn't get entitled to fellow. Oh boy. How? Share the secret. Because I'm sure there's a lot of businesses who must, if anybody's seen this, they'll be wondering, how the hell does this guy did it without well, no further? Share the vision, truthful, honest with the, with the team. 
give them opportunities where, in, where, where you can. So have them working elsewhere where, where they can. It didn't so work out full time. time but you acquired more businesses that could. Um... They, so we built the takeaway during COVID, but we also built the, the DI Fry box. We also started doing platters. We, we also started selling red salts and flowers online. So we went online. We went and, and, and did do like DI fry yeah, kits the, where, where the, you, cook, you cook our products in the comfort of your own home. But the kitchen so, staff, how are you looking at they, the So they, they have to package the stuff and send it. Right. But, but, but still, still, that wasn't enough work or enough income to feed all the chefs that I've got. But what put me at an, ad, at an advantage compared to all of my competitors, compared to all the other hospitality and catering or contract catering companies is that my workforce is younger, more committed, more ambitious, more fresh-legged, ready to experience new things in the industry, in the kitchens. Whereas the older generation was quick to leave because they've, they're sick of it. 20, 30 years in, you would be. Now you've got a taste of a new life. You can spend time with your family. Why would you not? Why, why make a takeaway slash restaurant? Um... It's a diner. Diner. Yeah. Um, that's down to... That's down to what I'm trying to deliver as a brand. But you have... Firstly, you took this catering route rather than taking a restaurant route. You know, a lot of chefs, they make their own Michelin star restaurant, whatever, whatever. I'm not a Michelin star chef. I've not been trained like that. I'm not going to lie. This is not why... This is not where my strengths lie. However, if a Michelin star restaurant turns around and says they can't run the kitchen, which I'm sure they won't, they can't run the kitchen and they need someone to come in and run the kitchen and take the contract, I'll give, it a, I'll give it a go and I'll bring some people in who can do that. I'll find the people, I'll network and connect and do everything I can to make it work. Everyone, even today, people's like, you're taking too much on, bro. You're taking too much on. Work and focus on the venues that you've got now and make them perfect. Perfect's unachievable. Perfect is, is not real. Perfect doesn't exist. Perfect is not a thing. Perfect is just a word thrown around to use, use to describe very good things. Perfect is not a real word. So I agree, actually. So, bowler, what's it called? Bowlers? Bowlers Exhibition Center. It's a massive venue. The thing I want to touch on is, I, like, your, the, the way you're humble is scary. It's scary because I said this to another person as well who's similarly like you. I'll probably be a dickhead when I'm old, though. Like, I'm sick of being nice to everyone now. Fuck it. I, see, no, I, I know humble people. Yeah. I think I'm a humble person, I'd like to say. But the way you're humble... I don't know if you're going to be the same person if you get a blue tick. Bruv. <laughs> All I'm saying is I'm a chef. And my, 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 favorite, my favorite food is humble pie every day. I think um, I learn a lot from you. I admire you for sure. Um, and some of the things that you, know, that you say, I'll be watching you very closely anyways. Listen, you think it's a freak? It's a freak what it is. But I'll be watching you very closely because I want to see five, six years from now. Let's see where I am. What? And what does your brand, what, what does your company accomplish, the, the places that it goes? Can you actually take over a stadium and run the whole thing? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you'll get to a point where you can't run a venue and a venue says no. We don't know, but the rate that you're going at um, is, is phenomenal. It's testing, it's very phenomenal. testing. And it's a different, it's a totally different approach to traditional, what we were just saying, traditional uh, get a takeaway, get a restaurant, smash it. It's, even, it's even, even, even on the chef inside of it, not even just the business side. Usually a young chef goes into the industry, kitchen pot, a commie chef. Learn how to peel a carrot, learn how to chop an onion, learn how to dice, learn how to do this, learn how to do that, learn how to make sauce. Then after that, they train up, they start running a section. And once they run in a section, they're running two sections. Then after that, they're training up somebody else. Then after that, they're supervising the kitchen. Then after that, they're the head chef. 
And then after that, maybe they become an executive chef or a group chef or an area chef. But that standard progression just was not for me. I just didn't want to follow. I've never, mess, I've never been a sous chef or above. I've never made it past chef de party level. You know what? I'm going to ask you a question. It might sound a lot off topic. Is it important for a female to be able to cook? For me? You know, like um, our mums, sisters, mm. older generation. The woman stays at home, she cooks, the man goes to work. Do you think it's important? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's very important. Because if she lived on her own, how's she going to feed herself? <laughs> you dug out quick time. <laughs> Women have to fend for themselves just as much as men do. They have their own battles. We have our own battles. So say if a woman was, you know, struggling, homeless, no family, nowhere to go, and she couldn't cook, she's fucked. But in general, do you think it's important for women? Because I have some friends. But the thing is, it's important for everybody. You say, oh, if a, if a girl can't cook, I am not even... Do you mean in a relationship? In general. In general, yeah, in, in, in general, then yes, because right. every adult okay. needs to cook. But in a relationship? Cook. In a relationship, yeah, she should cook and have my dinner at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, it'll be easy living with me because if you think about it... You have all these places you can eat. I could really just eat good. I mean, she can just clean, it's fine. One day Boulevard, one day Impossible, <laughs> one day Gorilla, one no, day... No, I, I love a bit of sexism, it's cool, man. You're going to bait me out now, innit? No, no, no. <laughs> Sexist <laughs> chef, Aaron Lee. <laughs> Why not? No, listen, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I really, really uh, admire you. Thank you. I'm no, not just saying it for Appreciate camera, it, man. But I've been Faz from Planet Faz. If you like this, you know what to do. If you don't like this, you know what to do. If you want to subscribe, you know what to do. If you don't want to subscribe, you know what to do, bro. Go and eat salt money flavors. That's what you got to do. Peace.